Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Our passage today comes from Mark 1, 1 through 8. Listen for what God is saying to you. The beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ, God's Son, happened just as it was written about in the prophecy of Isaiah. Look, I am sending my messenger before you. He will prepare your way. A voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make his path straight. John the Baptist was in the wilderness calling for people to be baptized to show that they were changing their hearts and lives and wanted God to forgive their sins. Everyone in Judea and all the people of Jerusalem went out to the Jordan River and were being baptized by John as they confessed their sins. John wore clothes made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. He announced one stranger, one stronger than I am is coming after me. I'm not even worthy to bend over and loosen the strap of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. May God be a bl- add a blessing to the hearing and understanding of this scripture. Amen. Good morning again, Urban Village. Um, so every week, as Antonio said, we'll be singing the song, Come, Come, Emmanuel. And if you didn't catch it, Emmanuel means God with us. And we'll sing this to remind us that God stands with us, among us, struggling alongside us to help make this world what it was intended to be. So we'll sing together, come, come, Emmanuel, come God with us. Let us pray. Come, Emmanuel, be in this space, even this morning, this first morning of Advent, when we begin that journey toward your inbreaking in the world, toward remembering that you didn't leave us to ourselves, to our own to our, to our own fate that we were creating for ourselves, but that you came alongside us, that you loved us enough, that you love us enough to walk alongside us, to struggle with us, so that this world can be what it was intended to be. Be present um, in this preached word. May your spirit open our hearts and minds so that they might be touched in a new way to hear your voice. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So seeing as how we've just celebrated Thanksgiving, um, I've been thinking about Christopher Columbus. Actually, I've been thinking about Columbusing. Have you ever heard of it? Um, It's uh, basically (laughs) the concept of people, usually white people, declaring that they've discovered something um, when it has existed actually for quite some time. There's hummus for health nuts, Zumba for the workout fans, twerking for pop stars, tribal tattoos or rock and roll or, well, Christopher Columbus in discovering the new world. It's the idea that something didn't exist until someone with a broader reach or a louder voice or more power declared that it existed. And it can be pretty infuriating. 
So whether it's a new restaurant, a new band, a hairstyle, or even a television show, there's a particular kind of pleasure and cachet that a modern-day Columbus gets by taking credit for something that they've discovered. They get the reputation of having insider knowledge or a particular kind of cultural authority. They're seen as being um, on, on the lead or leading edge or, or being on the end with the cutting edge of society. Somehow, when these folks embrace cultures or practices that have long been ignored or pushed to the margins, it somehow seems to work out for them. And then when they bring their discoveries to the center, they, those discoveries become weirdly co-opted and detached from the people and cultures that they were created um, from. They are rewritten, they get rewritten in such a way that their deeper purpose or meaning gets lost or buried. The people or culture, though, that it's tied to end up still being kind of left behind and marginalized as they watch as one aspect of their identity gets singled out and repackaged to serve someone else's interests or fetishes. Being on the margins can be tough. You're ignored at best and then misappropriated at, or harassed at worst, and it can feel pretty disheartening. Most people are trying to move from the margins to the center to get out of that place of being dismissed and disregarded. They want their whole selves to be um, embraced. Uh, kind of like Liz was, what Liz was saying. Um, but some people were made for the margins, people like John the Baptist. In our passage for this morning, we see John, a man who is actually the miracle child of Zechariah and Elizabeth, an ordinary couple who had a hard time conceiving until Zechariah learned from an angel that his wife would have a son. And so the angel says, your prayers have been, don't be afraid, your prayers have been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will give birth to your son, and you must name him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many people will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the Lord's eyes. He must not drink wine and liquor. He, must, he will be filled instead with the Holy Spirit, even before his birth. He will bring many Israelites back to the Lord their God. He will go forth before the Lord, equipped with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will turn the hearts of fathers back to their children, and he will turn the disobedient to righteous patterns of thinking. He will make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so here we are in our scripture passage for today, about 25, 30 years later, and miracle baby John has become John the Baptist. And he is a throwback Jew, like way back. In the tradition of prophets, centuries earlier, he dressed in camel's hair, he ate bugs and honey, and the most important thing about being a prophet, he was an irritating, loud thorn in the side of everyone who was clamoring for the middle, for the center. He's making enemies left and right, especially political and religious leaders who had benefited, who were kind of sitting pretty at the top of that system. He cuts through the BS rhetoric of the day to make God's call for social justice and systemic healing loud and clear. John the Baptist is kind of like a battering ram, breaking open the doors of power and privilege that have been sealed shut for a long time and were upheld by people who had the most power. And he's breaking up ground so that Jesus can begin the work of planting. It's a common tactic, actually, for social change. Someone I know who used to work with the Mark MacArthur Foundation, if you're familiar with them, they um, provide all kinds of large grants um, for social change. Their uh, purpose is to create a more just, verdant, and peaceful world. You might have heard that from NPR from time to time. She told me, uh, this friend of mine told me, that when they fund projects and people, actually, they fund all along the spectrum of progressiveness. She said that they find projects and people um, at the very kind of liberal, sort of most cutting edge 
um, end of the spectrum because they know that um, even though those projects probably aren't going to be successful because they're so progressive, they, um, they break way for those less progressive um, but still more progressive than kind of where things are. They break the way for those pr projects to go even further. So it's kind of their tactic um, as well. And so I actually think, you know, I like to think that they got that tactic from God. Um, <laughs> because look at, again, what uh, the angel says to John's parents. He will go before forth before the Lord, equipped with the spirit and power of Elijah, he will turn the hearts of fathers to, to back to their children, and he will turn the disobedient to righteous patterns of thinking. He will make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So he's doing that hard work of breaking up the ground so that something new can happen. His job, John's job was to shake things up, to be such a radical and stark difference from the order of the day that he begins to agitate a social earthquake. This earthquake would allow Jesus' ministry to go farther and make a greater impact on the individuals and the systems of the day. Because it was sort of like, that John guy is so crazy. Jesus looks like a little bit more normal, you know? <laughs> um, and so Jesus, or John was there to enact a different way of being and doing in the world um, so that Jesus could usher in this alternative empire. So if you've ever seen um, the HBO series Game of Thrones, you'll know that, first and foremost, it is not a church-appropriate show. <laughs> you'll also know that it's the story of seven kingdoms that vie for control of the throne that rules them all. At the beginning of the series, you meet Eddard Stark, a.k.a. Ned, who is the dearest friend of King Robert Baratheon. He's highly regarded as an upright person and widely seen as honorable, Ned is. Baratheon asked Ned to come to Westeros, the capital of the kingdom, to serve as his right-hand man and to execute his commands. And all throughout the show, people keep saying this phrase. You sort of hear it in this ominous way, winter is coming, winter is coming. Um, and it's ominous, but it points to a sense that change is in the air. Something is about to shift. No one really quite knows what it is, but there's going to be sort of something tectonic that moves. Ned has kept his distance from Westeros because of the mess that is all up in there. Everyone is seriously corrupt, and everything is, everyone is undermining everyone else to get more power and more control. And so when he arrives to be the king's hand, he tries to, be, he tries to like maintain um, his spirit. He tries to be true to his spirit. He tries to have integrity and speak up for what's right in the world. And so he, when he finds out that the queen's children, this is like so complicated, but the, he, when he finds out that the queen's children have a different father, he confronts her. And so here's a scene from that. When the king returns from his hunt, I'll tell him the truth. You must be gone by then. You and your children. I will not have that blood on my hands. Go as far away as you can as many men as you can because wherever you go Robert's wrath will follow you and what of my wrath Lord Stark you should have taken the realm for yourself Jamie told me about the day King's Landing fell he was sitting in the Iron Throne and you made him give it up all you needed to do was climb the steps yourself such a sad mistake I've made many mistakes in my life but that wasn't one of them oh but it was when you play the Game of Thrones, you win, or you die. There is no middle ground. So Ned has come to Westeros reluctantly, and he knows he's entering this world in a system where domination and violence are the way people get ahead and get what they want. Even when he finds out that the queen has done some pretty terrible things, he tries to give her an out, and that's what that video um, clip is, is, uh, is about. He's, he's telling her to take 
his, her children and get as far away as possible before the king gets back um, and he breaks the news to the king because he, he's trying to sort of be, do both, right? Like allow them to live but also um, have, be honest with the king. He wants her... Uh, he wants to have it both ways. Ned didn't want to be co-opted into this system that would deform his sense of integrity, right? He gave up his chance, to, uh, Cersei says, he gave up his chance to be king because he refused to play the game of thrones. And eventually, kind of a spoiler alert, um, the queen makes sure that Ned is beheaded before her secret, <laughs> Drew's plugging his ears, <laughs> Ned beheaded before uh, her, his secrets revealed. <laughs> his, uh, this is then followed by the king's death, and the wheels of revolution turn, and the Game of Thrones begin again. The Roman Empire had just about gutted the identity of Israel. Their tactic when they would conquer nations was to take the true ruler out and put a puppet, puppet king in place, someone who looked like the people but actually served the interests of the empire. So here in Israel, in the time of John the Baptist, we have Uncle Herod, I mean King Herod, what I did there, um, who sells out his people for a piece of the pie. It would be bad enough if it were just him, but the religious authorities were so comfortable and so wrapped up with their own stuff that they failed to see that the people they were called to serve were getting crushed under the weight of empire. I actually um, just recently read an, uh, an article with folks uh, who were uh, part of the Black Youth Project, if um, you're familiar with them. It's an uh, organizing um, organization for young mo black millennials, um, and a lot of them were really behind this um, Black Friday protest around uh, Laquan McDonald. And they, um, one of the things in their conversations with some church leaders who were in this uh, nationwide phone call was that they didn't trust the church. That the, tr that the church had undermined efforts for organizing and for systemic change for so many years, they were kind of like, we don't need your help, we don't want your help. They didn't trust the church. Well, it's not all that different from the time of, um, of, of when John was entering, the, entering and doing his ministry in the world. They didn't trust the church. They didn't trust the religious authorities to protect them, to have their interests, best interests at heart. The world was burning all, burning down all around these religious and political authorities, but they couldn't feel the heat. They couldn't or they wouldn't see it. And so what John is doing is rubbing their faces in what they refuse to see. And they do not like what he is saying. Herod and Herod's wife do not like what they are hearing. John the Baptist is threatening power, not because he's playing the Game of Thrones, but because he refuses to play. He's opting out. And even more than that, John speaks against it. His message is that the Game of Thrones is false and powerless. John is saying, you think Caesar has power? You think Caesar is God? Check that against the God who made Caesar. Check that against an empire and a rule that go farther back than creation itself and stretches farther forth in, than the horizon that you can see. Not long after this message or this passage, John is incarcerated and then, like Ned, he's beheaded for refusing to keep his mouth shut. But here's the thing. Shutting John up doesn't make the truth go away. John is the battering ram, right? But winter is coming for Jerusalem. The wheels of shalom revolution, a revolution of wholeness of life, are already turning. And in the wake of John's loud, disruptive, wilderness voice comes the word made flesh in Jesus Christ. God has seen, God is seeing the way that we structure ourselves. A few on top, living large at the expense of many on the bottom. Economic orders operating such that those with the least are squeezed the most and the weakest are left to fend for themselves. 
systems and people whose job is to protect the community end up protecting themselves instead. And this isn't just ancient times, right? We only have to look at our state budget to see this in play. Devastating cuts to the poor, for children, for mental health and healthcare in general. We only have to look at Laquan McDonald and all the other black and brown bodies that have been chewed up and spit out for the sake of preserving the Game of Thrones. This is not ancient history, and it's not even fiction. This is today. This is today. Even today, across space and time, John is crying out from the margins, saying, come, come join me. Come look at our tradition. Our God says that this is not how things have to be. This is not how things have to be. Come join me in turning cycles of death into circles of life. Join me as I look to the one who is already here, who is already among us. Let's enact a different kind of empire. Join me. Look at the manger and let's find another way in. Let's find another way into that manger. Join me. Let us sing together. Come, come, Emmanuel. Come. Come, God with us. Let us pray. Come, Emmanuel. We need you. This world needs you. Help us to be brave. Help us to have vision. Help us to believe that you are, in fact, with us right now, that the way has been made. And in this time of Advent, help us to remember that we are participating in your work of life. Help us to do it. Come, come, Emmanuel, because without you, we can't. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.